You know, we are in the middle of our Fear Not series, and it dawned on me that we have not looked at the top 100 phobias and fears of North Americans. So, I googled that. You want to do that? How about we do it? Now? Um, I'm just kind of reading it. (laughs) Okay, here it goes. Okay, go ahead. Dear God, we pray for our extraordinary kindness and a whole lot of hard work and strong teamwork. So we also want to pray to pray our stupendous pride for laying out our perfect words nice and clear. And we want to make 2018 extraordinary again. And I want to, to make autism again with new activities, new places to go and visit and see or make something new and different too. And for starters, I won't have a negative, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. And, for, and for starters, I won't have to, I won't have a nasty negative attitude to anyone else. I will have magnificent manners every day and have a fantastic life. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Michael. Yes, one of the fears on the list is fear of public speaking. Michael does not possess that. Absolutely. I'm going to bring up some, the first one. And by doing this, I don't want to, if any of you have these fears, because they are legit, I don't want to, you know, diminish that in any way, shape, or form. So please don't take it like that. But there are some interesting ones on here that I'm just going to highlight. Number one. Everyone probably knows this one. Fear of? Spiders, yes. So I'm just going to highlight a few of them that I thought were kind of interesting. What? Number 26, hippopotamonstrosiquipdaliophobia. Does anybody know what that is? Fear? <laughs> You'd think it would be of hippopotamuses, and that would be a legitimate fear, but it's not. It is fear of? Long words. I know. <laughs> These are real people. They're right here. I got them off the internet. Does anybody know kumpunophobia? Any guesses? Some, somebody might have this here. Go ahead, Kev. Fear of buttons. These people do not wear clothes with buttons. Okay, so. Next one. Amalophobia. Anybody? 70, this is number 75 on the list. Fear of? No. I got to remind myself. This one is similar to the buttons, but this is the fear of belly buttons. How terrible is that? Because you have one. Every morning you get up and you look in the mirror and there it is and you're scared. First thing, terrible. Number 100 on the list, taphophobia. We probably all have this. Well, maybe not in a phobia, but it is a fear. Go ahead, Kev. Fear of being buried alive accidentally. I forgot the accidentally part, but it is accidentally. Fear of, yeah? Is anybody here not scared of being buried alive accidentally? Some other interesting ones. And yes, there is a fear of fear. And that is phobophobia. 
It's on here. It's real. A phobia of fear. Uh, for you youngsters, didascalinophobia. You might want to use this tomorrow morning. It is the fear of school. Usually affects kids more than adults. And then grown-ups, just, we might want to use this tomorrow morning. There's ergophobia, the fear of work. Yes. Usually dealing with our performance and things like that. Not so much the actual physical act of doing work and stuff. Number 33 on the list is metathesiophobia. Any guess? Linguist? Yes. The fear of change. The fear of change. Now, thankfully, less than 1% of North Americans experience this fear to the extent that it's a phobia, where it's like debilitating to them. However, research tells us that almost 70% of North Americans do not like change. It's about 68, 32 percentage-wise. So let's do our own little poll here. How many of you like change? Raise your hand. Wow. Whoa. We're an unusual group. <laughs> Keep it up. You like change. Yeah. It's about to change for you. <laughs> Why do you like change? Can we have the cordless, Walter? It's right here. No, no, you've turned it on. <laughs> um, basically, you aren't stagnant. You're actually changing, and it's interesting. It's interesting. Okay. Top five reasons, and then there's also a reason from a faith-based perspective that I found. Top five reasons that people like change. Go ahead. Change equals opportunity, growth, learning. This is going to fall right in line with what Ben was saying. Fun, adventure, risk. So there's what he was talking about. New beginnings, self-discovery. And uh, when they did it from a faith perspective, that self-discovery was more a faith or a God discovery. Raise your hand if you do not like change. Raise your hand if you do not like public speaking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> why, why do you not like change? Wait, we got to get Walter. Walter. Walter, hello, hello. Walter. Okay, there yeah. we go. Loss of control, uncertainty, okay. an inability to feel like I'm going to be safe. Okay, out of curiosity, Sean, are you pro or con change? Indifferent. Indifferent. <laughs> wow, we are a weird bunch. Top five reasons that um, people don't like change. So there you see what Miriam just said, loss of control. Number one is unfamiliar and uncomfortable. People who don't like change, it's because it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, it can signal work. When something changes, that means often work. Signal a need for help. Can signal failure. What if I can't do this? What if the change is going to cause me to fail? And then that one was connected with a faith-based one that God really doesn't care for me in my circumstances. If change happens and I could possibly fail in doing it, then God must not care. And so that's some of the top. You know, whatever our personal preferences concerning change, 
We all do have a level of embracing change, even those of us who don't like change, and we all have a level of fearing change, even those like Ben, who right now fears nothing because he's in his early 20s and he can just <laughs> thinks he's going to live forever. And go, you know. But he does, unbeknownst to him, have a level of fear of change. And if we pushed hard enough, we could probably find that. The tipping point for all of us tends to be in our personal need, our personal want, exactly what Miriam said, for control and comfort. That tends to be our tipping point. For example, I didn't raise my hand, but I'm, I'm in the 70%. I'm, I'm the one, I'm, I don't like change. I'll be honest. So even people like me, though, do like change when I initiate it, control, and when it serves me well, right, comfort. So I might want a new, no, that's, I was going to say I might want a new job. That's not a good <laughs> Brad likes change, so go ahead, Brad. That's just, <laughs> um, vacation. I might want to go on vacation, even though it's change, because it will feel good and it will serve me well, right? I might, uh, Ben, I better get off of me because I'm going to get in trouble. Ben might want a girlfriend, or his mother might want him to have a girlfriend, because it would serve him well. But he likes change, so he, you know, that's probably not a good example. But you get the idea. Those of us who don't like it, and the flip side for those of us who don't like change, um, we also will give in to change when we realize that the benefit of the change will outweigh the maintaining of the status quo. So I may not like going to the doctor. Um, I don't mind going to the doctor, but I may not. Be, a lot of people don't like going to the doctor, and a lot of it focuses on change. But they do come to a point where they realize going to the doctor and getting a cure or help for what's ailing them is actually better than maintaining the status quo, and so they'll buck the change and they'll go see a doctor. Now, for those of you who love change, and my wife loves change, so I, I have some experience with this, lack of change tends to dull, it tends to limit you, it makes you begin to feel stir-crazy, like you need some change. That happens in our house. But even for those of you who love change, you do have habits that you maintain. You're, not everything in your life is in constant flux. Many of you who love change probably eat the same thing for breakfast every day or pretty close. Or you drive probably similar way to work. You maintain relationships. Hopefully family, spouse, husband, wife, that kind of stuff. You do have things that you keep constant in your life. And which I'm only starting to realize now because I used to think that like Sylvia was off the charts in change and she'll tell you that. I used to think she would, there was no level of change that would bug her. But she does, she has levels and, and, and she can max out in the change. It, it, it shocks me when it happens, but it can happen. Um, and everybody who loves change, even someone like Ben, does have something or some levels where he'll say, that's it, that's my cap. My dad is a great example. My dad loved change, like constant change. But whenever the topic of aging would come up and all the change that would happen around aging or the extreme of death and the change that that creates, 
boom, he's out of the room. He refuses to this day to discuss aging. And yet he's in his 80s and he's aging. So that's one of his limits. So we all have various levels of embracing change. We all have various levels where we do not like the change and we may even fear the change and we're just not willing to go there and deal with that change. And again, it usually hinges on our personal desire for control and comfort. But one thing we cannot debate is the reality of change. And probably said best by 6th century Greek philosopher Heraclitus of Ephesus. You know this saying, this is my paraphrase, only one thing will remain constant in life. And for those of you who don't like it, like me, too bad. It is indeed change. So whether you embrace it or whether you fear it, whether you like it or whether you dislike it, change is constantly happening around us. And if you read the scriptures through the lens of change, you will find that God is um, genuinely, God is um, absolutely committed to change. And it stems from his love for us. You've heard that saying, God loves you enough to accept you just as you are, and he loves you enough, what? Not to leave you the way you are. That deals with change in our life. We have this big word in the church, sanctification, which is the constant uh, changing of us into the likeness of Christ. We are constantly changing as his people into the image of and likeness of Christ. And so God is very committed to change. And so when, not if, change is happening in your life, we all need a solid biblical foundation to know how to deal with change. Whether we're liking it or not, we need to have that. So for that, today we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 41. So if you have your scriptures... Or on your devices, you can turn to Isaiah 41. It speaks into our need to deal with change, especially for those of us who don't like change and for those times when we encounter fear around change. The context first, quickly, that the prophet Isaiah is speaking in. Intense change for God's people. You have, uh, you have the nation of Israel bro- broken into two kingdoms, the north and the south. You have the northern kingdom of Israel off Uh, having been taken over by the Assyrians, and you have the southern kingdom of Judah, far away from God. Uh, They are rampant in worship uh, of idols. Uh, Their sin level is not where God would want it to be, and so they are distant from God. At the same time, you have a whole new ruler and kingdom in the east rising up called Babylon. And we know that the story of Babylonian exile and what that will mean for the people of Israel down the road. So a lot is happening in terms of the international scene for the Israelites. And remember, their identity is formed around being a nation, being a chosen people with a chosen land. And that is all being torn apart right now. And so as their people, they are questioning how can they survive all this upheaval? Will they survive exile, those who are in the north right now? The ones in the south, will they change their sinful practices? And if, and if not, what's going to happen? Is God just going to wipe them out? Will exile be permanent? Will they get to return to their homeland? 
Will they cease to exist as a community because of all the transition around them? These are the kind of questions that God's people are wrestling with in the immediate, in their everyday life, and also for future generations as they think about that. And in Isaiah 41, God addresses his people. Let's start reading verse 1. God says, listen in silence before me, you lands beyond the sea. Bring your strongest arguments. Come now and speak. The court is ready for your case. Who has stirred up the king from the east? Babylon. Rightly calling him to God's service. Who gives this man victory over many nations and permits him to trample their kings underfoot? With his sword, he reduces armies to dust. With his bow, he scatters them like chaff before the wind. He chases them away and goes on safely, though he's walking over unfamiliar ground. Who has done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am he. The lands beyond the sea watch in fear. Remote lands tremble and mobilize for war. The idol makers, especially in the tribe of Judah, encourage one another, saying to each other, Be strong. The carver encourages the goldsmith, and the molder helps set the anvil. Good, they say, it's coming along fine. Carefully they join the parts together, then fasten the thing in place so it won't fall over. They're building an idol. They're encouraging each other that this is where our strength is going to come from. But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend, I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, you are my servant, for I have chosen you and will not throw you away. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. See all your angry enemies lie there, confused and humiliated. Anyone who opposes you will die and come to nothing. You will look in vain for those who tried to conquer. Those who attack you will come to nothing. For I hold you by your right hand, I, the Lord your God. And I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. The verse that's probably most familiar for some of us is that of Isaiah 41, verse 10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Powerful verse with two commands and five truths that legitimize those commands. Don't be afraid is that first command. The second is don't be discouraged or maybe a little more accurately, don't anxiously look about you. Don't anxiously consider what's happening around you. And as always in the Bible, when God gives us his commands, he gives support and reasoning for us to be able to live out those commands. He doesn't ever just throw out a command and leave it like hanging in the air and so that we're sitting there thinking, well, this is impossible. Friends, whenever God gives us commands, there's supporting truth with those commands. If God commands us to do something, there's reasoning behind it. There's support behind it. And our ability to carry out the commands doesn't necessarily rely on us. It relies on our ability to place our faith and trust in the truths that God gives us. So God's people during the time of Isaiah are in the midst of tremendous change and uncertainty. And it's safe to say that at least 70% of those Israelites were not liking what was going on. Minimum. 
I'm saying probably a whole lot more. Today, God's people are going through change. We, Jericho Ridge, are experiencing change. We're right in the middle of it. How many of us don't like it? How many of us are uncomfortable with it? How many of us prefer the status quo of the LEC? How many of us would like to be meeting at 10.30 instead of at 3 or 4 p.m.? For God, it's not a matter of liking or disliking. It's not a matter of embracing or fearing the change. He signaled to us that change is coming. And what he's focused on is who is he in the midst of the change and how are we relating to him in the midst of the change. It's a very different outlook than us as North Americans who tend to base our entire lives on comfort and control because we're very privileged and powerful people in the world. That's, whether we want to admit it, that's the culture we have been raised up in and that's how we tend to function, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. But God looks at it in a different perspective. And he looks at it and says, who am I? What am I calling to you? And how are you going to relate to me in the midst of that? And he did that for the Israelites in Isaiah's time. He gave them these two commands. And he gave them five truths in that one verse. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will hold you by my victorious right hand. And that's how you can do these two things of do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Restated, we could say this for Jericho as our two commands and the five truths for our sense of fearlessness that God is calling us to. I will not be afraid. I will not be discouraged. God is with me. God is my God. God will strengthen me. God will help me. God will sustain me. When God calls us to be free from fear and changing circumstances, and you can take this to any part of your life, whether you're changing a job, whether you are uh, going into a new home, changing your location, whether you're traveling to a foreign country in a few weeks, whether you're leaving a comfortable setting and taking a risk, maybe you're facing a medical dilemma, and it's uncertain. Even if you lose a friend or a spouse. And as you change venues and times for public worship, when God calls us to be free from fear, to overcome that very natural response, that very natural emotion that wells up inside of us, which is, I don't like this, and I might even be fearful of this, when he calls us in the midst of that to replace that with his peace, he does not leave you hanging out there on a limb and say, suck it up and figure it out. No, he says, I'll be there. And he gives us these truths. Do not be afraid of change. I am with you. Do not be afraid of change. I am your God. Do not be afraid of change. I will strengthen you. Do not be afraid of change. I will help you. Do not be afraid of change. I will sustain you. I think the key to letting that sink in and for us to really grasp hold of those truths and believe them is by focusing on the truths that God gives us to support those things. 
and looking in the context of the scripture that we just read, we need to go back and first see who God says he is. Can he really do all this for us? Can he really sustain me? Can he really help me? What does it really mean when he says he's my God? Let's look at Isaiah 41, verse 1. God says, listen in silence before me, you lands beyond the sea. Bring your strongest arguments. Come now and speak. The court is ready for your case. Who's in charge here? Who's on trial here? Our God is so great and so able that he calls all the lands, all the nations to stand before him in his court and says, go ahead, give me your best shot. I'm ready. It's not God who is on trial. It's not God who we often put on trial and say, God, you don't seem to care about me and my situation. Actually, God says, you enter into my court. He's not called into account. He calls all of creation into account. And only he has the supreme power to judge rightly. This is the God who will strengthen and help you. 41 verse 2 and 3. God says, who has stirred up this king from the east? Rightly calling him to God's service. Who gives this man victory over many nations, including over his own? And permits him to trample their kings underfoot. With his sword, he reduces armies to dust. With his bow, he scatters them like chaff before the wind. He chases them away and goes on safely, though he's walking over unfamiliar ground. Who raises up that king? God raises up that king. God rules over the rulers of history. No ruler, no king comes into play unless God places and says, you can be there. I know that sometimes we forget that when we look around the world and we look at who's in power and where and when and we see dictators and, and sometimes monsters and stuff, but it does not negate this verse. It's a picture of God ruling over the historical rulers. It's a picture of him controlling the affairs of all of humanity, of all the kings through all of history, and of all the nations for his purposes. Friends, nothing happens to us that does not first pass the throne of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who rules over all the nations from the beginning of time to the end. Not one thing in your life has ever happened that has not first passed by his throne. That's the God who says, I can help you. That's the God who says, I can give you strength. Verse 4, God says, Who's done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am he. Not only do I rule and judge the nations and the kings and, uh, of those nations, I actually spoke them into existence. I created them. I was there before them. I am the uncreated one. And I'm the one who's going to be there long after they're all gone. And when my purposes for humanity are played out, and when we see the things that the book of Revelation playing out, as we talked about in the fall, it will be God 
it will be the king of kings who is still standing. And every nation on earth, every ruler will have to bow. That's the God who says, I'll be with you when your times are uncertain. Verse 5 and 7, the lands beyond the sea watch in fear. Remote lands tremble and mobilize for war. The idol makers encourage one another, saying to each other, be strong. The carver encourages the goldsmith. The molder helps at the anvil. Good, they say, it's coming along fine. Carefully, they join the parts of their idol together, then fasten the thing in place so it won't fall over. So you've got nations desperately trying to piece things together and find that sense of control in the midst of all this changing stuff that's happening. And they continue to stand in opposition to God with their idols. They continue to be unrepentant. They dig in deeper into self-reliance. If only we work harder. If only we can do this better. We'll figure it out. And God says to his people, "Uh uh-uh, you're different than that. Verse 8. As for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend, I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, You are my servant, for I have chosen you, and I will not throw you away. God calls and chooses his people, and he does not leave us hopeless. He does not treat us like junk that he's going to toss off and say, Forget about that. It's worthless. I will not throw you away. We don't need to try harder. We don't need to conjure up stuff, images, idols so that we can succeed. That's not what we're called to do. God calls us to identify ourselves as his children, as his chosen people, as his heirs, especially in the person of Jesus Christ. Know your identity. You may feel humbled, you may feel little in the presence of the premier or the president or the queen. Know your identity. You are a child. You are a prince and princess of the king of kings and the lord of lords. You have access to the most holy of holies. And when you enter that place that God says to you, I am your God. And I will help you. Friends, this is the God who says to us, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I am with you. There's nothing outside, there's nothing happening in the world that can affect these promises, these truths. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will sustain you. Or think of it in in a different uh, analogy. Instead of these truths, think of this as five positions of relationship that God has to us. Don't be afraid of change. I am with you. Where, where Where is he? He's right by your side. It says his right hand is holding your right hand. And by the way, his right hand is victorious. I don't know about you, but I don't want to let go of that hand. I mean, that's the hand. 
Don't be afraid of your change. I am your God. I am over you. I am greater than you. I've got you covered. I will pull you in under my wings. I can handle it. Don't be afraid of change. I will strengthen you. I sent my counselor, my healer, my spirit to dwell inside of you. I will strengthen you from the inside. Don't be afraid of change because I will help you on all sides, no matter what comes at you, no matter what circumstances change, no matter what people fire in your direction, even from behind, unsuspecting, God will surround you. Don't be afraid of change. I will sustain you, undergird you, hold you up. I've got you when you feel like you're going to fall. I've got you when the, when the stuff around you is shifting and you feel unstable. I will sustain you from underneath. Jericho, change is happening. Change is always happening. It's taking place in your life. You know it better than, you, than, than I do, what's happening in your life and how quickly stuff changes these days. And it's taking place in the life of our church. And in the very middle of this change, God says to us, and it's not a question, it's not an encouragement, it's not a, oh, by the way, it's actually a command. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then he gives us the support for that sense of fearlessness. This is not something that you just kind of conjure up on your own if you happen to, you know, have a personality that is fearless. No, no, this is, like, this is real stuff. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will sustain you. And so as you look around and see the very reality of change taking place for you on a day-to-day basis, no matter where you go later today, no matter how you start your week tomorrow, this applies to your personal life. And it applies to us as God's people. And because of that, I want to call us as a church. Do not allow your like or dislike of change. Do not allow your personality, because we're all wired and most of us don't like change. Do not allow that to define us as Jericho Ridge. Do not allow that to define where we go in the fall and what we do when the LEC says you need to leave. Don't limit the future of our church on that basis. Instead, I want to call us as a church to embrace the future in light of our God. Recognize that he is greater than our personalities. Recognize that he is greater than my like or dislike. Recognize that he is greater than whether or not I want to embrace or whether I'm fearful of a change coming up. Understand that he's more than our past experience. Agree that he is not limited by our current circumstances. And believe that he is ruling over our future. Jericho Ridge, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you and I will help you. In fact, I will uphold you, Jericho Ridge, with my victorious right hand, for I hold you by your right hand as well. I, the Lord, your God, and I say to you, do not be afraid. I am here to help you. Let's give thanks. Father God, we acknowledge and we proclaim today that we agree with your word that says you are the uncreated one, the first among the first. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, and you are the Omega, the never-ending one. And God, we come to you as the author of history, as the one who sees the present so clearly, and as one who knows the future. And Lord, into that we bring our uncomfortable thoughts, our challenges, our uncertainties, our worries, our what-ifs, our dilemmas, and even our anxieties and our fears. We bring these to you. And we thank you for your promises. We thank you, God, that you are God and you can handle all of those thoughts, all of those what-ifs. We thank you that you can do that in our individual lives and for what we face tomorrow morning. We thank you that you can do that and will do that in our households and in our family lives. And Lord, we come to you as a church, your people chosen, and we thank you that you will fulfill your promises for us as well. You are with us. You are our God you are strengthening us and helping us, and you always sustain us. And we give you thanks and praise. We trust not in anybody else but you, O oh God. And we look forward with anticipation and hope because of our trust in you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Worship team is going to continue to lead us in a couple songs, and the prayer team is going to be available in the back. If there are any things that you would want to have prayer for in terms of any changes coming in your life, they would love to pray with you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just submit those things to the Lord. There is nothing too small or too great in that realm. And uh, so, yeah, please, worship team, lead us.